Thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Church Online Podcast. This is Pastor Andrew, and whether you're listening in the car or at the gym, or maybe just sitting down with a cup of coffee and an open Bible in front of you, we hope that through this message, God will meet you right where you are and help you grow in your personal relationship with Him. So let's jump right into this week's study of God's Word together. I'm so glad you're here this morning. Pastor Andrew's away uh, with his family, so I want you to pray for them as they're away, and uh, we're just excited to see you here, and very uh, glad to be able to to share with you from my heart uh, what God's put on my heart for this morning. If you would turn uh, in your Bibles, if you have a copy of of the Scriptures, to Luke 19, 1 through 10, if you look on your phone or your tablet or your iPad, whatever you have, and uh, I'm going to read these first 10 verses Pretty familiar passage. I think most of you have heard this story before. Uh, And if you haven't, you're going to hear about it today. So that's great that you're here today. So I will read. You follow along as I read Luke 19, 1 through 10. All right. It's about Zacchaeus, okay? Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was, and he was unable due to the crowd because he was short in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree in order to see him because he was about to pass through that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. When the people saw this, they all began to complain, saying, He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. But Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I am giving to the poor, and if I have extorted anything from anyone, I am giving back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Amen. There's a song uh, that I'm sure is familiar to most of you here. If you weren't with children in church or uh, maybe you sang it as a child. Uh, Since I just read the scripture for the message, most of you can guess the song I'm referring to. You may be humming it. uh, You may be thinking of it in your mind. What's the song I'm thinking of? Okay, that's good. That's good. Yes, you, you want, I was going to sing it, but y'all did so well. I'm not going to. Uh, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. We'll read the words just for those of you that may not know the song, and then as a reminder to the ones that do know it. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree, and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down. For I'm going to your house today. I'm going to your house today. Yeah, I love singing this song to my kids when they were little. And it's certainly a great song to teach to kids now and to grandkids. But sometimes our understanding of a passage of Scripture gets stuck at the preschool level. Um, In fact, based on the song, the things that we think about in this story are probably, one, that he was short... Uh, Two, that he climbed up into a sycamore tree. And if you're really good, 
that Jesus went to his house. Okay, nothing wrong with that. I'm not trying to insult anyone's intelligence. The song's great. Those are true statements. But I'm, and I'm sure as you were reading through that passage with me that you observed more than what was portrayed in the song that we learned as kids. Sometimes we do, however, miss out on some great teachings and applications if we look at a passage like this, all too familiar, uh, at sort of a superficial level. So this morning, I want to look a bit closer and drill down some on this passage, Luke 19, 1 through 10, to see what Jesus, uh, what the Bible is teaching us through this uh, account of the interaction between Jesus, Zacchaeus, and the onlooking crowd. Uh, There are several great principles and applications in these 10 verses, but I want to focus on three essential principles connected to the right pursuit of Jesus. Three essential principles connected to the right pursuit of Jesus. The first principle we're going to look at is that Jesus is worthy of our pursuit in verses 1 through 4. Jesus is worthy of our pursuit. Just by way of background, Jesus had been going from town to town and village to village, healing the sick, casting out demons, and teaching the people. This account finds Jesus in the town of Jericho, and this is just before he entered into Jericho, and he had restored the sight of a blind man. In Luke's gospel, this was actually the last town that he performed a miracle before entering into Jerusalem. The other main character in the story, of course, is Zacchaeus. So we're going to look at Jesus, Zacchaeus, and some of the others as well. Now, Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and the scripture tells us that he was very rich. He was an outcast. He was not viewed very favorably by the Jewish people, nor was he viewed very favorably by the religious leaders. Many tax collectors did have the problem of taking much more money than was required for the tax. John the Baptist even addressed this group of tax collectors when he was in the wilderness and told uh, them that they should not take more than they had been ordered to. There's a passage in Luke that says uh, the tax collectors came to John the Baptist and they said, what should we do? And, And John the Baptist said, collect no more than what you have been ordered to collect. So in some ways... It's kind of uh, Zacchaeus was, was an unlikely candidate, really, for wanting to meet Jesus, being in the type of profession that he was in. But in the Gospel of Luke, many of society's outcasts are the ones that are seeking Jesus. The lame, the blind that I mentioned just a minute ago, lepers, and tax collectors. But unlike the Pharisees or Herod the Tetrarch, Zacchaeus was not searching for a sign Unlike the Pharisees or Herod, Zacchaeus is compelled to pursue Jesus, not for a sign or a miracle even, but for his worthiness, for his worthiness. Look at the great lengths that Zacchaeus took to get to Jesus. He left this tremendously profitable post where he was collecting taxes and ran ahead of the crowd. Can you imagine the short tax collector running ahead of the crowd And then, to beat all, he climbed up into a tree so that he could get a better view of what was going on. He was wanting to see Jesus. His pursuit to see who Jesus was was driven by more than curiosity, though, but by a deep-seated desire to know Jesus. The worthiness of the object of desire gives meaning to the pursuit. And Jesus is certainly worthy. What in our culture do people find worthy to pursue? Maybe, maybe a good job, 
a quality education? What do people seek after that would qualify as a worthy pursuit in our world today? Many would say a spouse or good health, maybe to be physically fit. Losing weight sometimes becomes a person's focus and pursuit. There are people who follow sports teams and celebrities with much energy and time commitment. This would seem to imply that the object is worthy of their pursuit. The enjoyment, the camaraderie, the outward appearance, attention, the rush of adrenaline, whatever the cause, there are all kinds of pursuits that people give much of their time and attention to. Zacchaeus, however, made a conscious effort to seek out and pursue Jesus. He obviously determined in his mind that Jesus was worthy of his pursuit. He had heard the stories, no doubt. Maybe he had witnessed a miracle. He knew deep down inside that getting a glimpse of Jesus may change his life. Perhaps the glares and hatred of the people and his own conscience searing within him made him desperately seek someone who could save him before it was too late. He knew that the pursuit of Jesus was a worthwhile venture because he had seen Jesus change people's lives and offer them hope and joy. Jesus was very much worthy of his pursuit. So, is Jesus worthy of your pursuit? Let's look at a variety of verses in the Bible that speak to the worthiness of Jesus and why he is worthy of our pursuit. By implication, Jesus himself states his worthiness as recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. Let's look at Matthew 10, 37 through 39. Jesus says, he who, is, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow, follow after me is not worthy of me. Now, this, this is certainly a high standard in following Jesus. Paul says in Philippians 2.10, At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, and those under the earth. In the book of Revelation, there are many passages that speak to Jesus' worthiness. The 24 elders in heaven bow down in reverence and cry out to the Lamb, the resurrected Jesus, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. That's Revelation 4.11. The elders also sang out along with the four living creatures. Can you imagine this scene in heaven? Worthy are you to take the book and break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God. And with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and nation... And people. That's Revelation 5 9. And then in Revelation 5 12. And then further in this awesome and reverent moment in heaven, there were myriads of angels, thousands upon thousands of angels, crying out with a loud voice in unison. And they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Jesus Christ who is the Son of God, the Son of Man, the beginning and the end, the sacrificial Lamb of God, and the only true authority is definitely worthy to be pursued. I don't know if you remember this poster. Um, I think I had it when I was in high school, maybe, in the 80s. That dates me. 
Um, but this, this poster uh, just is a great reminder to us of all the names that are given to Jesus in Scripture. Interestingly enough, these names are surrounding one of the most powerful confirmations of Jesus being one with the Father. The name Jesus calls himself the Great I Am. If you see that in the center, uh, the colors stand out okay, but in the center you see the Great I Am. But around it you see these names. I'm just going to read them to you. Um, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, Prince of Peace, Mighty God, Wonderful Counselor, Holy One, Lamb of God, Almighty, Lion of the tribe of Judah, Root of David, Word of Life, Author and Finisher of our Faith, Advocate, The Way, Dayspring, Lord of All. And then you have Son of God, Shepherd and Bishop of Souls, Messiah, The Truth, Savior, Chief Cornerstone, King of Kings, Righteous Judge, Light of the World, Head of the Church, Morning Star, Son of Righteousness, Lord Jesus Christ, Chief Shepherd, Resurrection and Life, Horn of Salvation, Governor, the Alpha and the Omega, the Great I Am. These names proclaim the worthiness and necessity of doing whatever it takes to follow after Jesus and receive Him and worship Him with our entire heart, soul, mind, and strength. We know so much more now about Jesus than Zacchaeus knew, so we should pursue after Jesus with a sense of unparalleled devotion and joy. As we go further in this passage about Jesus, we also see a second essential principle. Jesus is welcoming of our pursuit. Jesus is welcoming of our pursuit. The efforts of Zacchaeus didn't go unnoticed. As Jesus came to the place where Zacchaeus had positioned himself in the sycamore tree, Jesus looked up and told Zacchaeus to hurry and come down. Jesus was welcoming of Zacchaeus, but this was not a, a coincidental welcome. This was a divine welcome. Look at the last statement of Jesus in verse 5. I must stay at your house. Jesus knew Zacchaeus would be at this place and time. This exact time, in fact, in the providence and sovereignty of God, Jesus knew that today was the day of salvation for Zacchaeus. In addition to Jesus reaching out to Zacchaeus as an act of grace and mercy, Zacchaeus did not hesitate welcoming Jesus gladly to his home. In verse 6, the Greek word used here can be translated rejoicing. Luke uses this word some 14 times in his writings in association with salvation. The faith to joyfully respond to the instructions of Jesus and recognize him for who, who he truly was is evident in this immediate action and joyful welcoming of Jesus to come to his house, to Zacchaeus' house. And here in this defining moment in time, both grace and faith at work in this divine interaction that pulls Zacchaeus out of his deceitful and hollow way of living to a life-transforming, joyful relationship with Jesus. You know, the Gospel of Luke is full of examples of welcoming those that came to Jesus with an attitude of humility. Usually we find the outcasts of society surrounding him and Jesus is always reaching out to heal him, to heal them both physically and more importantly, spiritually. 
Even when Jesus wished to be alone, he was still welcoming to the people. Look at these verses with me. Jesus was very tired. He had withdrawn, withdrawn to a city called Bethsaida. But the crowds were aware of this, and they followed him. And welcoming them, that's that key term, he began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. Peter also expresses the welcoming policy of Jesus, in this case, for the individual who fears God. I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. Acts 10, 34, 35. Paul quotes the Old Testament in his, in his plea to the Corinthians to be holy and not to participate in ungodly pagan practices. The result is, again, a welcoming by God. 2 Corinthians 6, 17 says, Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean. <clears throat> the concept of welcoming all people in churches has been somewhat misunderstood. Let me explain what I mean by that. Jesus is welcoming of our pursuit, as we see here in this story with Zacchaeus. He is interested in those who are seeking him. However, not all seekers find what they're looking for. The attitude of the seeker must be one of receiving with joy the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There must also be the divine prompting of the Holy Spirit and the outpouring of grace on the individual's life. This combination of faith in and grace from defines the salvation experience in a person's life. A faith acknowledgement that Jesus is the Son of God and that He is the way, the truth, and the life allows God's gift of eternal life to be received and embraced. I went to a, a Baptist church uh, while I was in college that had it, has its slogan somewhat during the beginning part of the service, we welcome you. Uh, I mean, this isn't a bad statement, is it? I mean, we welcome you. That sounds good. I boldly chimed in when we all said in unison to, to, the, unison to the guests and the visitors, we welcome you. I mean, it was great. Um, but when I began to dig a little deeper in the church's doctrine and over time began to discover uh, more about the church, I discovered that they left out the necessity of the gospel message providing forgiveness of sin and the acknowledgement that salvation was from Jesus Christ and Him alone. Jesus is very welcoming of our pursuit, but it must be on His terms, not our terms. Jesus clearly states that only by and through Him can Zacchaeus, or anyone for that matter, be saved from sin and spend eternity with Him in heaven. Now, the good news is this. Christ died for our sin, He was buried, and He rose again on the third day. So by placing our faith, by placing your faith, and by placing your trust in Him, you can have eternal life, and more than that, a life that is meaningful here, in addition to that, rather. God tells us that God is not wishing for anyone to perish, but that all would come to Him in repentance. That's 2 Peter 3, 9. This leads well into our final principle about our pursuit of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. The third essential principle from this passage is Jesus is weighing of our pursuit. Jesus is weighing of our pursuit. Our motives in pursuing Jesus are not hidden from Him. 
You know, many of the scribes and Pharisees were not following Jesus with the right motivations. Some of them would flatter Jesus, but they were doing it in a way that was deceitful. Many times they would ask him questions, intending to trip him up. Remember the time when they asked Jesus about paying taxes. They asked him, you know, should we pay taxes to the Roman government? And Jesus' famous reply was, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and unto God what is God's. He was never deceived or fooled by their trickery. He always knew the intentions behind the questions. He always knew the motivations behind their actions. They despised Jesus and actually wanted to get rid of him. In the midst of this interchange between Jesus and Zacchaeus, we are told of the crowd's reaction. Verse 7, uh, it was obvious that the influence of these religious leaders had, been, had rubbed off on, on the crowd because the crowd started complaining and they were passing out judgments on Jesus for him accepting Zacchaeus' dinner invitation. Why does Jesus want to spend time with a tax collector, a notorious thief? Now, some of what they say is true. He was a thief. But their motive and their attitude is what shortly is addressed by both Zacchaeus and by Jesus. Let's first see how Zacchaeus responded. Verse 8, Zacchaeus does an amazing thing. He stops dead in his tracks. Perhaps he had been making dinner preparations, getting his home ready for Jesus. But he stopped dead in his tracks. The weighing of his motives in pursuing Jesus by the divine scale is about to be revealed. Jesus stands up and makes this I'm sorry, Zacchaeus stands and makes this announcement. Zacchaeus stands and makes this announcement. Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded or de defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. Can you imagine the reaction of the crowds in hearing this? I'm sure they were happy because many of them had been cheated, and he was going to pay back four times what he had cheated. If there is any doubt to this great reversal in Zacchaeus' life, it is now and forever removed. The people genuinely observe the results of a transformed life by having a faith relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I want to be clear here. This is not about doing good works to get into heaven. Again, this is not about doing good works to get in heaven but rather it gives us a wonderful example of the actions of having true faith and trust in Jesus and willing to demonstrate true devotion to Jesus and His way of living one's life. In fact, John the Baptist, we mentioned him earlier, he said in Matthew 3.8, Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Next, Jesus confirms this by pronouncing that salvation had come to Zacchaeus' house that day. And in response to the doubters, Jesus confirmed that salvation is not about being born into a certain family or a race or an ethnicity, but it's about responding to and following Jesus. If you remember back in Genesis 15, 6, the Bible clearly gives the way of salvation. All the way back in the first book of the Bible, for Abraham and for all people in all places and in all times. The verse says, Then he, Abraham, believed in the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. So that's the first evidence of salvation coming through belief in the Lord, not through works, not through following the law. 
Zacchaeus clearly was convicted of his sin in cheating people and pledged to pay back four times the amount he had cheated the taxpayers. He also committed to give one half of his possessions away. Clearly, Jesus had made an impression in Zacchaeus' life. Now, have you ever had to make a decision in life, I'm sure you have, that requires you to kind of weigh out the pros and the cons? Uh, this isn't the greatest example, but let's just say you were wanting to buy a new vehicle and, and you have your eye on two different makes, maybe a Honda or a Toyota. You look at the body style, maybe the engine, the type of safety features. Is the ride comfortable? How about the gas mileage, which is important these days? Does the car have a good reputation for reliability? You look at the pros and you look at the cons of each, and hopefully the scales end up tilting in one direction or the other to choose between those two makes. You know, God also uses a divine scale in his weighing out of our motives in pursuing him. But for God, it is not based on pros and cons. His decision to welcome us into his presence is actually rather simple. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. Paul, of course, goes on to add believing to the equation as well. So calling on the Lord and believing in the Lord has always been the way God weighs our hearts on the divine scale. And the pursuit of Jesus leads to more than just knowing about Jesus. Rather, it leads to belief, trust, and a joyously transformed life. Like Zacchaeus' response to his encounter with Jesus, leading him to action that showed true, repent, true, true repentance and true joy. During any pursuit of God, he knows the intentions of our hearts. He knows our motivations. He knows why we're trying to seek him. During the Old Testament character of Job's arguments with his accusers, you remember Job and the three friends, the accusers, he wanted to hear no more. He asked for the divine scales to be used because only they would accurately assess his heart condition. Job 31.6 says, Let him, meaning God, weigh with accurate scales, and let God know my integrity. When the Holy Spirit is working in an individual's life, there will be personal recognition of sin and a true conviction of the need to be forgiven. The psalmist says in Psalm 38, verse 4, For my iniquities have gone over my head. As a heavy burden, they weigh too much for me. This weight, however, can be lifted by asking God for forgiveness and allowing Jesus to carry those burdens for us. Only He can offer forgiveness and a life that is worth living. So how do we apply these three principles that we've learned from the account of Zacchaeus? Jesus is worthy of our pursuit. Jesus is welcoming of our pursuit. And Jesus is weighing of our pursuit. How do we apply these principles? Well, first of all, do not let any pursuit get in the way of the worthiest pursuit of following Jesus. There will always be other voices out there trying to get your attention to focus on your career, your financial position, your appearance, physical health, entertainment. Not that anything's wrong with those, but not as the primary pursuit of your life because the pursuit of Jesus is the most worthy pursuit. 
Jesus will never let you down. He will lead you, and he will lead me, and he will guide you, and he will guide me through all of life's challenges, whatever you're facing this day. Number two, welcome Jesus into your life, and he will welcome you into his joyful presence through the Holy Spirit. This is the ultimate relationship. God wants to have your full attention. He wants to have my full attention. The joy of knowing Jesus results in peace, fulfillment, right relationships, and a true purpose for for living. And then our third application for today's message is to pursue Jesus with the right motives and actions. Like Zacchaeus, he will never leave you or give up on you. Understand Jesus' plan in your life by being in constant communication with God by praying, through reading His Word to learn more about Him and to grow in your faith, by living in community like being here at Liberty Church, and living according to God's plan, living according to God's Word. Our motives should always be based on Jesus' words in Scripture. Now, as we close out our time here this morning, um, I want to share with you another verse that I decided to write for the Zacchaeus was a wee little man song, okay? This will be the adult version, okay? This is the adult version. Are you you ready? It may have, I don't think it's gone up yet. Good. Okay, here it is. Ready? I'm I'm not going to rap it or sing it, but I'm going to, Tom, you probably could rap it for us. Let me go ahead and, and read this. Zacchaeus was a changed, joyful man. Yes, a changed, joyful man was he. He paid back fourfold to those from whom he stole and gave half his possessions away. And as the Savior transformed him that day, he said to the watching crowd, Zacchaeus, you've been saved from your sins, and you're coming to my house one day. Yes, you're coming to my house one day. So... That's the message that I want you to take home with you today, that no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what challenges you face, no matter what you've done, Jesus can transform your life. He can save you from your sins. He can give you purpose and hope and joy and a new way of living, just like Zacchaeus.